Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Hello! Welcome back to Coaching Inside the Box, where we discuss discuss the beautiful game, culture, environment, and how that intersects with player development. And now, today, in episode 13, we're going to be discussing futsal, or in Andy's word, we're going to be slaughtering a sacred cow. U.S. soccer loves futsal. It is, it is helped, marketed, and promoted to a great extent by U.S. soccer. So much so, many of us are led to believe that we need to adopt it if we are going to catch up with the Brazils of this world. So with that said, since we've got our own resident Brazilian in Philippe, what do you think? Is futsal all America needs to catch up to Brazil? Um, I don't think America will ever catch Brazil, but... <laughs> I but if we, <laughs> if we play a lot of futsal, though, will we? I don't think that's the answer. That's not the answer. Huh? How yeah. to win friends and influence people, Philippe. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest, man. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. <laughs> For the first time in my life, I actually wish Brazil to fail. <laughs> now i on a serious note though guys like we, you know we've discussed this quite a bit um uh if you were if you're watching this on youtube you'll see these dark pieces of paper in front of andy many of which um uh or all of which are banners that exist within our club training facility that andy's gone and taken pictures of and printed out but it's it's we as a, as a as a three group of coaches in this organization, feel as though futsal um, uh, is better than sitting on the couch and eating potato chips. Right? It's better than baseball. It's better than than American football. Um, but it is not better than, and nowhere near better than, um, small sided indoor traditional boarded soccer um, for a lot of reasons. But it's shoved down our throat. I mean, literally, U.S. soccer it feels like all the time are trying to shove futsal down our down our throat from a coaching perspective and from a developmental perspective um and and i think it's wrong-headed i think it, it it gets in the way of the future development of the game for us as an american uh, uh community um and i assume you two agree well you know whether we agree or not is not the case you know what we have to do is put forward you know the evidence you know that futsal is not what is developing the great players and I don't think there's any better evidence than uh, the last World Cup when um, across the teams that played in the World Cup, and that's not even including the teams that got knocked out in qualifying, but just the teams that actually attended the World Cup, there were 23 players playing on various international teams, not just the French team, that were born and brought up you know, in the suburbs of Paris playing small-sided soccer on boarded, netted fields, you know, right outside their apartment blocks. So they could literally roll out of bed, you know, go to the bottom of the apartment block, and right outside there was a small boarded, netted field. And I visited a whole bunch of them when I was in France in 2019 for the Women's World Cup. And, you know, the, the existence of these fields made, um, uh, you know, chasing the ball on an errant shot, a thing of the past, because the ball can't escape from these boarded, netted fields, you know. And so 
Um, you know, and this isn't you know just the case with France. But before we move on to other countries, um, 23 players in one World Cup from the outskirts of Paris. That's incredible number of players that made it to the World Cup finals. And the team that won, France, had the greatest percentage of those players. You know, so the Mbappes of this world, the Pogbas of this world, you know, uh, the Kantes of this world, th this is where they grew up playing the game. And so they became brilliant with a soccer ball because they played you know, 4v4, 5v5 on these small-sided fields in a crowd, winner stay on, you know, and these were at the bottom of their apartment complex. You know, in, in the outskirts of, of Paris, Bondi, in the case of Mbappé, you know, was his, his, um, his, his, you know, little city on the outskirts of the big city, Paris, you know, and, you know, had these small boarded fields in that environment. And kids would come home from school, get out on these little boarded fields, and it became street cred. You know, when you were a teenager, that's how you look good to the girls is you know, by performing under pressure in a crowd on these little small boarded fields, you know, and they played with real balls, you know, it, you know, there was no reason not to, the ball couldn't escape the environment. So let's use a real ball. I've had this, these notes printed for the last four episodes and I haven't had a chance to bring them up. Um, this is a perfect time. Thank you for the segue. Andy, I hadn't planned on doing this now, but they've been sitting in our studio and, and this is perfect. Uh, in the 2018 world cup, there, was, there were 50 players born or raised in France as members of various World Cup squads during the 2018 World Cup. This, this, this is an excerpt from the book, What Happened to the U USMNT. I think I've mentioned this book before on previous podcasts. It's a fantastic read if you're a U.S. soccer junkie. Um, but, but here's the excerpt. Many of France's players grew up in urban environments with constrained space. This also impacts the style of, of play they grow up practicing. In the, I can't say it, Ban Louise, they primarily play pickup, small-sided soccer games with a mix of ages in the small space of a concrete ball court. It's ideal for training skills at a micro level before moving to larger fields. The small space requires players to not only play quicker, but also make faster decisions. It inherently improves a player's spatial intelligence and the development of ball skills and control and encourages creativity. 50 players in, that grew, grew up or were born in France played in the World Cup on various squads, specifically because we think, this book thinks, they played in this really tight space that increased the speed of play. And in futsal, don't we increase the speed of play, right? The way the, the ball's made is meant for the play to be faster, right? No, it's not. Oh, it's not? Well, why is U.S. So soccer telling us to do it if the ball actually makes things slower? Well, you know, before we get onto the way that the ball is made and how it makes the game slower, you know, because I've got the statistics right here. That's why I was trying to tee you up for that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. before we go there, let's, let's look at Iceland, for example. You know, this is a country with 330,000 people, uh, and that's their total population. You know, and, you know, they have consistently be hundreds of places above where they should be in the world pecking order. You know, so I visited Iceland and I toured around and, you know, and I toured around looking at why this was the case. You know, and, you know, it was it was a great vacation as well. We, you know, did a lot of sightseeing, but everywhere we went, we found the local soccer field and all over the island. There's over 130 of these. There's boarded fields all over the island where, you know, the balls, you know, hit boards and come back to the players that are playing on the field. You know, and so, you know, it, it, you know you've got this incredible transition environment, 
you know, that involves tight spaces, lots of kids, and you know, 130 for 330,000 people, that's massive. Then in addition, during their winters now, every single elementary school you know, or senior school has a gymnasium, and it's open to the public during the evening. And across the island, there's 14 massive indoor field houses just for soccer. You know, and those are divided up into small-sided game fields so that you know, they can play big games on the weekends, but all through the week, these kids go in there and they play small SSGs, small-sided games, on these little fields in these big field houses. You know, so these kids literally, you know, in their neighborhoods, you know, almost right outside their door, have these fields all over the island. And so they cannot get away from you know, their friends with a ball, and this is what they do night after night after night. And, you know, and since the government has been providing all these indoor facilities and open up these gymnasiums, they have got a place to play, which is just a few blocks down from where they live, wherever they are on the island. And so Iceland has punched incredibly above its weight in the world standings. None of this involves futsal. It's all with a regulation ball, you know, and they, they're not proponents of the game of futsal. You know, they just use regulation balls when they play. You know, and, and there are examples, you know, for example, Ibrahimovic, you know, uh, is, and, and I happen to have the inside scoop on this because Paul Balsam is an old friend of mine is the guy that engineered incredible miracles at Bolton Wanderers, Southampton, Leicester City, you know, and you know, he's just left Leicester and he's with the Tigres in Mexico now, you know, just announced, you know, and every single club he's been with has had inordinate success. And in Stockholm where he lives, you know, he got to know and helped mentor Ibrahimovic and Ibrahimovic grew up in, a, in an apartment block with a netted in field at the very base of the apartment block where he learned to play his game. Once again, not futsal with a regulation ball. You know? And so and we can track the great players, the really great players of history, and none of them played futsal to any great degree, whether that's CR7 or Leo Messi or Diego Maradona or Pelé. Now, I have seen footage of Ronaldinho playing a game of futsal uh, but according to all the other study I've done, he never played futsal or played with a futsal ball outside of playing games of futsal. You know, his kicking around in the streets, his practice was all done with a regular soccer ball. You know, so all of the evidence I can find and I've hunted and hunted, and this has been years. You know, I published my original book, you know, 20 years ago. You know, and I was hunting for 10, 15, 20 years before that, you know, for all the evidence I could find, you know, to back up, you know, my philosophy or establish my philosophy. So, you know, futsal is, is it relative Johnny-come-lately. Even the term futsal wasn't coined until 1985 by Alex Parra, who started U.S. futsal here in North America. You know, and, and so it's, it's a, a very recent game compared to soccer, you know, and... Um, and, you know, it's, let's get into the ball later, but, you know, that's kind of the background of the game and what I've noticed. Belgium, for example, have had a massive run at the top of the FIFA standings, and it's because as a social program, they put these courts in 30 years ago all over Belgium, and they developed, you know, this current crop of, of great players that has allowed them to dominate the FIFA standings, you know, and it's not futsal that has done it. 
you know, in every instance that I've studied. Germany did the same post, I think it was the Euro 2000s that they didn't qualify for. They put in all these small-sided, boarded, outdoor, um, they were outside, but they were boarded uh, spaces, fields for the kids to play in. And, right. And, which led to the renaissance of 2010 and 2014. Right, right. Yeah. But, but, you know, why would we, you know, you and I be talking about this? Because the greatest country in world history at the game of soccer is and England. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's Brazil. Yeah. I can't out make fun of my own country once in a while. It's, I don't think it's, it's, it's funny anymore. I think people just think it's sad. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. And where are you going to be working tomorrow? For <laughs> I can make fun of my own country. You can't. Okay? Well, to be fair, I have never played a game of futsal. I've trained in, I've pl- trained is not the right word. I've played pickup with futsal games before on basketball floors, but never played an organized game of futsal. Um, Philippe, I'm guessing, I'm certain Andy has it because the game wasn't even invented when Andy was a kid. Soccer was, but not futsal. Um, but Are you fu- sure soccer was? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, didn't Andy invent soccer? No? I thought so. Yeah, yeah, um, But Philippe, I'm guessing really? you have more experience than us by a significant margin related to futsal. Um, is that fair? So, so uh, let, let, let me, I got it, you know, because you, you had the perfect segue that you know about not having played futsal. Yeah. You know, um, so let me tell a story about somebody that never played futsal before. And this is a good one. And, you know, uh, you know, people are welcome to check this with, you know, the, the, the people at the U.S. Futsal Federation to verify its truth. And, you know, I've got the articles to prove it. But um, so uh, in my own family, my youngest daughter, Holly, never played futsal in her life, never played with a futsal ball. We didn't own a futsal ball. You know, it just it wasn't part of her experience. Uh, you know, we'd always played boarded indoor during the winter and then, you know, and then small sided games outdoors. And, you know, we have our own indoor facilities with SSG fields, small boarded, you know, small sided fields. And, and so Holly was brought up playing this, you know, this boarded version with a real ball of smash mouth, rocket fast transition, lots of skill soccer. And, you know, just as, you know, I was looking at the calendar and, and at spring break, you know, uh, we had a chance to, we had no soccer games, we had a chance to, to do some traveling. So I started looking around, and I don't know if it was meant to be, but I, I came across a futsal tryout in, uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know, and there was another one in Kansas City, but, you know, I thought, you know, let's see if Holly's interested in making a road trip, you know, to, you know, test this futsal tryout, because I was interested, you know, I'd, I'd watched the game a lot, you know, and I'd been studying it for years and years and years, and, uh, you know, all the different genres of indoor soccer, trying to decide what I was going to do with my club, and and so we drove to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to a, a tryout that was run by the head of the U.S. futsal coaching program called Keith Tozer, and is an old friend of mine from when he used to coach the Kansas City Attack, and so, uh, she so was just announced on the board for the major indoor soccer he's league. He's the commissioner. He's the commissioner yeah. now. Yeah, he just he literally just was announced. He's now in charge of boarded indoor six aside. He's, um, he's just flipped back to the boarded game. Yeah. I'm guessing he's, he just he, he's on both and sees value in both. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, you know, I, I can't speak for Keith, but he's a great guy. Yeah, you know, wonderful man. And uh, and so. I called up Keith, and Keith said, yeah, bring her on down, you know, and I didn't explain that she'd never played football before, and so, 
she turned up and she played and they had all the girls and the boys mixed in together, you know, and, and, and she played football all weekend in all the games and she never played in a game of football before, never ever played in an organized game of football before, never played with a football bef ball before. And at the end of the, the session, she went up to thank Keith, Keith Tozer for the experience and she asked him, you know, what advice have you got to give me? And Keith said, really nothing. He said, keep doing what you're doing because, you know, the, the way you take people on and, you know, the goals you've scored and, you know, said, you, you know, you're doing something right because, you know, you really stood out, you know, as having excellent talent and skill, you know. And so anyway, she received an, an invite for the final tryout, which was in Kansas City, you know, so the, our hometown. And so she was invited to the final tryout. And um, we went along and, you know, Holly participated all through the weekend. And, uh, you know, and then, um, and I watched and took, you know, and took, you know, video of this, you know, so, you know, we've got it memorialized, you know, so, um, and, and anyway, I thought she did pretty well. And, and so, uh, you know, then, you know, of course, we, we hung around and waited, you know, until they announced the national teams and Holly was invited to play up a year. She's a 2003 birthday. And, you know, she was invited to play 2002 for the, two, the older team in Columbia, South America for the USA. You know, I have all these regional tryouts and, you know, the final tryout in Kansas City. She was invited to play on the futsal national team. So we traveled to Columbia, South America in the summer and Holly's first ever futsal game with a referee that wasn't involved in a tryout, literally her first ever futsal game with a futsal ball with a referee was when she played for the United States in Columbia, South America. As one does. <laughs> and you can't make this stuff up. Well, why was Holly able to step into the national team with absolutely no understanding, you know, of the specific terminology of the positions? You know, when the coaches started talking to her, it was double Dutch because she did not know what the futsal terminology for the position is there like a double pivot or a pivot i don't know the name or pivo pivo pivo, pivo. pivo yeah. is the pivo. yeah it's yeah, yeah. the target yeah yeah she okay. she she played the pivo okay you know but she had no idea what a pivo was <laughs> when they were using it <laughs> <laughs> that's just how my dad is uh, how my dad is he's peeved when i'm up too late on my phone that's how she connected probably so so um you know there's a, there's a transfer of training philosophy in phys ed called the specific adaptation to impose demands that you just made up. No. Okay. It's the said principle. Okay. You know, and, and so you specifically adapt to the environment and the expectation of the coaches, for example. You know, and so she'd been playing on our boarded, you know, 72 foot by 36 foot fields for years and years and years, you know, and taking people on and shooting from anywhere on the field with a real ball, you know, which, you know, moves, you know, rocket fast compared to a futsal ball. And so when she went and tried out for the first time ever playing futsal, you know, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at the regional tryout, she found it easy because the game moved so much slower in futsal than what she had been brought up on. So she actually felt much more in her comfort zone than she did going to practice or playing games on our 4v4 boarded fields. You know, and, and, you know, and so she verbalized this to me, you know, it, it, Dad, it wasn't hard, you know, because I said you did really well in that environment. And she said, well, it wasn't difficult. You know, it just felt easy like I had a lot of time on the ball and things just didn't happen at the same speed that they happened in our indoor facility and she was able to do that to such a degree that she made the national team a year up you know and toured Colombia you know and, and played for the U.S. national squad and team in Colombia South America and 
has that ever happened in sports before? Where a kid that hasn't played the version of the sport at all has actually made a national team and gone on tour, you know, and played for a national team. I don't know of any situation where that's ever happened before, you know. And so, what do you think of that? That's a good story that I knew um, because uh, it's fun to talk about, and I remember following along on social media. Um, but uh, it's not super surprising um, because the football ball is low bounce. Right. Like 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 when parents ask me and my teams, hey, we're going to play futsal this summer. No, we're not going to play or this winter. No, we're not going to play futsal. I prefer indoor. Well, why? Futsal's so great, so technical. And well, two reasons that I can't for the life of me understand. One, why would we play with a ball that's easier to control than an actual ball that they play with in the outdoor game? Two, why would we choose to play on a wood floor when we could play on turf? Like, I understand, I, I made the assumption that, that futsal started in um, in South America where maybe they didn't have access to turf spaces, and Philippe, you can probably speak to that a little bit. Um, and because they're playing on hard surfaces, it was too difficult to play with a normal soccer ball, so they had to take a, a low-bounce ball to make the game a little bit more um, uh, accessible to a greater number of people. But like, I just didn't understand why, why we would choose to do that when we have plenty of turfed fields that we can play on indoor during the winter here. Um, but uh, Philippe, talk about, talk about kind of your, your experience with it, maybe growing up. Um, well, um, a bunch of good points brought up by Andy in terms of the ball and, you know, how the game is actually played, uh, on the streets and people do assume that people play futsal on the streets with the futsal ball. And that is not true. Growing up besides organized games or at school where you know the staff of the school had a football ball and would give us again to prevent the crazy bounces and you know us breaking everything um i always played with a normal ball so uh, in brazil where i grew up you know in the middle of the city uh, every apartment complex has a futsal court uh, which all of them are boarded because you don't want the ball going and hitting uh, people's windows and stuff. So we just played in a boarded field. Concrete, yes, but with a normal ball. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever owned a futsal ball um, growing up. So just right off the, the start, you know, that's a myth uh, that people play more futsal or more with a futsal ball than uh, a normal ball back, back in Brazil or back in South, South America. Um, so that definitely helps in the translation uh, to the outdoor game, uh, just the fact that you're using uh, this, the same ball. Um, but, I mean, I, I played futsal quite a bit, and I enjoyed it. I think it's a great game, but there's, there's stuff on futsal that are missing, and a ton of it, it's repetition, especially if you think that kids in the U.S. train twice a week, I mean, the boards keep the ball in play, and I mean, what? I don't know the actual math, but it's at least 10, 15 times more touches that they'll get on the ball. That's way better for the development of of any kid. And but let me you stop you there. More touches they get on the ball with an actual ball. With an actual ball, too. Whereas the futsal ball, every touch you take with a futsal ball, it's so forgiving that in many respects it could build bad habits and related he, to passing and that's receiving. And that's what I was going to say. If you watch a futsal match, um, players step on the ball a lot. So they every time they receive a ball, they step on the ball. They roll the ball. 
that's not what you do in the outdoor game. You receive the ball with the inside of your, your foot. So just the basic way of controlling the ball, it's completely different. They step on the ball, they hop on one foot, rolling the ball. They the, Some of the skills that they do are different, are like you roll and, and hop to one side and fake. You know, it's stuff that you don't really do outdoors. So, you know, obviously there are benefits of the game. It's better for a younger kid than, you know, playing outdoor 11 v 11. Of course. If they're seven years old, because they are in tight spaces. They are, you know, the ball stays in play more, you know. And But if you compare to like a boarded, tight uh, indoor environment, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just not as good. And as you said, back home, obviously it's a thorough country. It, there's not as much money as there is in the U.S., so nowadays there are a bunch of turf fields, you know, in Rio, but like growing up there wasn't that many, and you know there were a few. They were usually bigger, and they were you know for kids to play seven v seven, eight v eight, and stuff like that. But like there's not enough money to in all the you know thirty forty stories apartment complexes to put a turf uh, field. So it was always concrete. And, you know, so that's why the game is exists is because it's out of necessity. You know, you conv- that that same court can be used for basketball, for volleyball, for others, sp- for handball, for other sports. So if I guarantee if back in the days, you know, Brazil could and turf already existed, they would have turfed all those fields. I mean, there is no reason why not to. So, and I've got something that's that's kind of interesting. I actually studied and took stats on both versions of of the game, the futsal version, and our four v four boarded version, the small sided game version. And uh, it's kind of interesting in futsal. Uh, and what I did is I, I picked teams that I studied the schedules for the local futsal leagues. You know, and uh, we had some outside teams playing in our leagues, and I picked teams from the same divisions to go and watch the games of the same age group when I when I took these stats. So, you know, as far as I could possibly you know whittle it down, these were teams playing at exactly the same level yeah. outdoors that I was witnessing playing either at futsal or the four versus four boarded game. And in futsal, the age group studied averaged seven shots every 10 minutes, seven, just seven shots every 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. 40 minute game for a total of 28 shots. And in Legends four versus four, the same age groups average 51.5 shots, give or take a fraction, every 10 minutes. So that's seven shots versus 51.5 shots in the same amount of a game every 10 minutes. And, you know, that works out at that Legends 4 versus 4 provides a 700 to 800% better shooting training environment just from the willingness to shoot perspective. Why is that? The goal in futsal is too small and the ball is too heavy. It's v- uh, If you get a good keeper, it's nearly impossible to just get a ball from half court and score so you don't even try well in the 4v4 game the ball never escapes right there's nets and boards in play so 
Well, it's two reasons, isn't it? You know, it's you know, it's what you just said is is you know, the ball never gets out. So, in our forty minutes, you know, in actually we we play forty eight minute games here. In our forty eight minutes that we play here, which is eight minutes more in the same amount of times, you know, which explains some of the difference, you know, in the stats because we actually have more minutes, you know, because you know we don't have to waste time chasing balls, etc. So, so you know, in that forty eight minutes that we play, we get that many more shots. All right, then in a futsal game, well, you know, if I'm hitting a dead ball, you know, he's, re- he's referencing a futsal ball being dead for those that can't see what he's pointing at. Yeah, if I'm hitting a dead ball, the ball that, you know, that I've got to really crank to shoot. It's not fun. Uh, then I'm much less likely to take a shot than I am with a regular ball, you know. And, and so psychologically, Shooting is the is one of the most difficult things in the game. The other most difficult thing is deceptive dribbling, where you know you're getting push whacked, etc. So shooting and dribbling are the most psychologically difficult skills in the game because they are the most crucial in many ways and the most highly pressured and have to be the most accurate and the most powerful in the case of shooting. So if you know that the ball that you're striking is a dead thing and you know you're you're not gonna be able to score from anything further out than maybe you know twenty 25 feet, then you're just not going to take the shots. Mm -hmm. So kids are psychologically deterred from taking shots because they're playing with a ball that punishes them for their willingness to take a shot. And that shouldn't be the case. We should be rewarding kids to take shots. You know, so we need kids that have got guts, have got the ability to put the ball in the net from 30 yards. You know, the Roberto Carlos's from Brazil, you know, the ones that can score from downtown Charlie Brown, those are the players that are going to be the ones that are going to play on our national teams and win us World Cups because their finishing abilities like CR7 are just incredible from distance, their accuracy and their power. Well, if we're discouraging them by having them use this dead thing, all right, then, you know, we're literally shooting ourselves in the foot if we ever want to win a World Cup. Mm-hmm. So listen to the stats, but, you know, hold that thought because this is really interesting. The weight of balls, the weight of a select futsal ball, this is from the select site, uh, which, and they, they make great balls. Uh, the weight of a select futsal ball is 410 to f- 430 grams. The bounce of a futsal ball is 50 to 65% less than a normal soccer ball. That's massive. Uh, and, and, you know, and then um, the... The futsal ball is also constructed in a manner to lessen the rebound ratio. So that's not all of it. You know, so it's, it's 50 to 60% less bouncy, but then the rebound ratio um, is, is uh, this is closer, um, but when taken into account, the rebound ratio means that um, using simple math on the basis of the average bounce measurement alone, a futsal ball will travel at a mere 42.5% of the speed of a normal ball. This is before we allow for the extra weight of the futsal ball. And the football, futsal balls of the same size weigh more than regular soccer balls. And the, the weight is an extra 13 to 14% weight that has to be taken into account. You know, which, you know, which uh, when all this is added up, all other things being equal, a futsal ball has to be shot from about four yards to achieve the velocity of a regular ball shot from 10 yards or eight yards 
to travel as fast as a normal ball struck from 20 yards or 12 yards to go as fast as one from 30. That's scary. Because you're deterring the very thing that can win the U.S. national outdoor team a World Cup, which is putting the ball in the back of the net. And that's being deterred for, in large swaths of this country, you know, four or five months during the winter seasons. And one thing that futsal really encourages is toe poking, which is not that important of a shooting skill uh, in the outdoor game. Like if you if we would put any math into how many goals are scored with the inside of a foot or laces or even headers compared to toe poke in an outdoor game, it's like it's a ridiculous percentage. It's probably close to zero. On the other hand, futsal, and especially for younger kids, younger kids literally, and I remember as a younger kid playing futsal, all I did was toe poke because it was the only way I could get enough power to actually score a goal until I was like seven, eight, nine years old, you know. So you, and even if you watch a professional World Cup futsal game, you see a ton of goals scored with toe pokes, toe pokes, toe pokes, which, again, doesn't translate as much to the outdoor game. And let's be honest, the goal for any country is not to be the f best futsal country in the world. It's to be the best soccer country in the world. If you're both like Brazil, then it's a bonus. But the goal is to be the best soccer country. So you got to think what's best for soccer. Yeah, I mean, again, like like the, the whole context and premise for this conversation is is that using futsal as a vehicle to to train uh, players that can exceed it the, to the greatest degree in the outdoor game, or using boarded indoor as a vehicle, which one's best, right? Um, and and it's it, it, genuinely the ball alone. If you make everything else equal, the ball alone is a detractor that would be that would that end it for me but the fact that i at some point andy's going to share some stats maybe now's a great time on how often a futsal ball is out of play or did we already discuss that maybe we did we did uh, we did yeah, yeah i mean the futsal balls out of play so much that's not even bringing in the boards factor to mm -hmm. it um, but the ball alone um uh, is easier to juggle easier to control easier to to do everything with i do want to i do want to highlight one thing when we say indoor we say tight 4v4 yes. indoor because a lot of people think playing at an actual full indoor arena which is massive for younger kids there's not a ton of benefit on that because then you're just literally playing outdoor and it's a massive space you're not putting the kids in tight spaces so for that I would actually argue in favor of futsal because it's tighter, the kids will get more touches than a big indoor arena when they're seven, eight years old. But what we're talking about is a tight, sh short a field. A, foot a futsal size field, maybe even a bit smaller. Maybe even a bit smaller. But a futsal size field with boards, nets, yeah. and turf. And exactly. a real soccer ball. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, I would disagree on your uh, you know, saying that uh, you know, the, the full-size MISL boarded field is is not as affected as futsal. I actually wrote a chapter in my book. And, you know, and when you break down the fact that the, you know, the attacking thirds of the field, you know, are about the same area as a futsal court, right, then, you know, you know and, you're, and you spend two thirds of the, of the time on even a big MISL field. More than two thirds, actually. Yeah, in, yeah. in that area of the field. 
um, you know, even uh, a, an MISL style foot so, uh, f uh, soccer environment is better than a futsal environment because of all the other things that futsal involves. But I don't think uh, we talked about the uh, the time in play. Uh, so you know, that we've got to go back to that because we've got to make sure that we cover this. Um, and I, I picked on this for one of the banners in our facility. I picked under 13 boys because it wasn't too young and it wasn't you know uh, fully mature yet. And uh, you know, and and the same level of of teams that I researched from both our facility and the futsal leagues here, and in under thirteen boys futsal, the ball was actually in play for an average of six minutes and forty nine seconds, and out of play for an average of three minutes and eleven seconds of each ten minute period we assessed. So. They lost three minutes and 11 seconds of 10 minutes with ball out of play, which is close to a third of the time that was lost to ball out of play. Now, just digest that for a while. You know, you pay for a league and you lose close to a third of your playing time just because the game and the ball and everything about the game is poorly designed, the environment and everything. In the Legends facility in four versus four, the ball is in play for the whole four minutes. That's not true. Once every couple of games, it'll go out that little bitty hole over the door where the kids enter. Yeah, and across a bunch of games, it's like one second that you lose well, maybe that's you know, per game. <laughs> hey, and, we got to be honest. And so <laughs> the 30%, the 40% loss of time and development in futsal is incredibly significant. And there's no way around that. That's a fact. It's stop and go, stop and go. You know, and you know, after Holly made the national team, you know, she actually played some futsal with another club. She was invited to play, and she's like, why not? You know, and it was one of the most frustrating experiences just to watch for me as a parent, watching Holly play, you know, because it was so much more pedestrian, so much slower, and so much less entertaining and, and fun, you know, watching futsal as a parent than it was, you know, watching, you know, our boarded, you know, 4v4. You know, I can't explain how frustrating it was, to be honest. One of the kids that grew up in the club that played for me for the last three or four years before he moved to the uh, academy at Sporting uh, Kansas City um, – uh, I went and watched him play a futsal game. And this is, he's probably U14 or so. Um, uh, Patrick Wilkinson, I went and watched him. Uh, and he's probably U14. And I went and watched the game, and I was really excited to watch, like, what in theory is a pretty high-level futsal game. And I actually found it to be somewhat boring at that level because the passing and the ball moved so slowly in, 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 in the interchange of play, you know, as they moved the ball around the court, that goals didn't really come from being created. Right, because it was easy for the defense to rotate and switch and 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 to to, to adjust pressure cover to to keep the ball out of the back of the net. Goals came in transition from mistakes made by the attacking team, and so it wasn't even actually like an attacking third positive play breaking down an opponent off of combination play and individual skill that that produced goals it instead rewarded um uh, uh pressure and a mistake by the attacking team to lose possession and then put the other team in a, in a breakaway against the the keeper now in part of it it might have been it was on a pretty small 
I would what I assume futsal court. It was on just a basketball floor, which isn't the size of a full size court, which makes a difference. But the speed of play was so slow, and that's the point that I'm trying to make in comparison to four v four boarded um, indoor that, that we play most often. Yeah, and and that's a you know a a, a breakdown in design. Oh. I mean, if you go to the history of futsal, right, it was, Andy, I didn't know it until you shared it with us as we prepared for this podcast, but it started in Uruguay um, by a gym teacher, similar to the way basketball was started, right, by a gym teacher who wanted to use the basketball courts for YMCA for a sport that's more interesting to Uruguayans, and so they came up with a futsal ball that bounced low because it kept breaking the windows in the gym, right? It's something like this. Absolutely, and, and James Naismith started basketball. You know, and with the same mandate from the people at the college in Springfield, Massachusetts, where he was in charge of physical education, uh, because they needed an indoor version to keep their athletes fit during the winter. And when they first threw a ball out there and then they said, go play, you know, they had all sorts of injuries. Check this out on Wikipedia. You know, they had a separated shoulder. And, and so the administrators said, we're not playing that. You know, you've got to come up with, they gave Naismith 14 days to come up with a new sport that was safe to play. So they, they started playing a version of basketball and he had to change it because it was too dangerous. Yeah, they, they, you, know, what, you know, whatever they were playing, which was a, okay. you know, a, probably a hybrid between football and soccer like and basketball. indoor rugby or something. Yeah, indoor <laughs> rugby. You know, and, and so you know, the authorities said, we're not going to you know, allow this to continue to happen. And so Naismith produced you know, a, a game that by its very nature was played with originally a soccer ball, but they even changed that and you know, to a slower, heavier, larger ball, a basketball, because it cut down on the speed of the game and the chance of breaking windows, et cetera, as time went by. Um, but he adopted the sport of basketball because um, in order to score, the ball has to go like this into the net. And so it has to lob. slower, it's yeah, not like it a- It has to lob in an arc slowly yeah. into, into the net. And you know, the, the harder you throw it, the less chance you've got of scoring. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you don't get the arc on it. So it's about touch. It's not about power. And when they first designed the game, the rule said you couldn't even dribble. And I don't know if you know this. Because but it's too dangerous. Yeah, it was too dangerous. <laughs> and so for decades, it wasn't until um, it was the University of El Paso won the national championship, the NCAA championship. There's a Disney movie about this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the dribbling with inner city kids became popular because the inner city kids had used, you know, the game of basketball in a different way mm-hmm. to suburban white kids, mm-hmm. you know. And so these inner city kids came up with a methodology that won them the NCAA championship back in the day by bringing dribbling into the game because there wasn't a specific rule against dribbling. Well, when they created basketball, there was a specific rule <laughs> against dribbling. Mm-hmm. You had to pass it. So, so the whole premise behind basketball was from a design concept was to protect both the players and the facilities same premise behind futsal Futsal. yeah yeah so when they started futsal in montevideo uruguay the premise was that they must not break the big plate glass windows that surrounded the gymnasium so they had to keep the ball low there was absolutely no part of the premise that included the importance of skill development for the players. It was simply, how do we save the damage to the fixtures and fittings in our gymnasium? And still have a game that's recognizable to soccer. Absolutely. Yeah. That's still got something that carries over that's you know, a cousin yeah. of, of the outdoor game. 
So if, if you study design, and, and it's pretty important that we do study design, um, because um, you know, the, what is design here, dictionary.com explains design as follows, um, which is uh, to prepare the preliminary sketch or the plans for a work to be executed, especially to plan the form and structure of. And, and the second thing it lists is to plan and fashion artistically and skillfully which wasn't taken into account with either basketball or futsal, uh, to intend for a definite purpose. Well, the purpose was to give some recreation and to save the damage to the facilities. So that was the design purpose behind futsal, to form or conceive in the mind, contrive or plan. Obviously, you know, obviously there was a plan. And to assign in thought or intention the purpose. You know, and once again, you know, when they signed in thought or intention the purpose, it wasn't about developing great soccer players. It was about getting recreation in a safe manner that didn't damage the facilities. So the origin of the futsal game was not at all concerned with the skill and the development of a great dribbler, goal scorer, you know, a brave creative team leader. It was actually to damp down maybe the brave, creative, go-for-it team leader aspect in order to get less damage to both the, you know, the, the physiology as well as you know, the, the, um, the, the physical surroundings mm -hmm. of the futsal court, if that makes sense. Well, uh, Philippe, I think you said before, growing up in Rio de Janeiro, for you, most often you played, when you played with friends and played in the neighborhood, you played on concrete, correct? But now when you go back to Rio, there's many, many, many more turfed spaces that kids play on. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, and so like presumably, so if, if, if playing on a super hard concrete surface with a futsal style ball was actually what made Brazil Brazil, they wouldn't be going away from it. They'd be leaning into it. But actually in Rio, they're going away from it where, where possible. Yeah. I mean, it's... Now they created a different version of soccer that's called Foot 7, which is uh, a turfed field with uh, boundaries, with lines. Uh, and that's actually a professional sport uh, now. So there are a lot of fields of that. Played uh, with a, a real soccer ball. With a real soccer so ball. So just 77. 77, 66, yeah. 88. So there are a ton of that. Because here's the thing. Um, in the city, like the closest outdoor field from my house was about a 30 minute drive and that's without traffic which if you've been to rio there's no such time so uh, there's always traffic so um i mean there's just no space for big outdoor field that it's accessible for people wait hold, so, on, a second, hold on a second so in in rio where unless you're literally at the academies of a professional club you don't really have access to full-size soccer fields if you're in the city, very, very limited. Okay. And so, <laughs> again, not to like harp on a, a, a common subject, but like, what are we doing in the United States, right? We're building these giant, turfed, monolith, $36 million so soccer complexes that are absolutely gorgeous. 
And that's where our kids are playing uh, spring, summer, and fall. And then when it comes winter, we're like, all right, guys, let's do what the Brazilian do, Brazilians do. And let's go play futsal and convert some of our indoor soccer facilities with tor- turf and boards, which is kind of actually like what the Brazilians do, um, and, and play futsal. Like, golly, I feel like, I feel like we're getting bamboozled by like, the snake oil salesman, <laughs> Swindler. I've got to read this to you. I'll be very honest. The f- when I first got to Kansas City, and I saw Overland Park Soccer Complex, I was like, whoa, there are 12 <laughs> turfed, full-size fields. Like, I was lucky enough to see one back home, you know? And then, obviously, if you go in the academies, you would see three or four, five, maybe, together. I never saw, I've never seen 12 fields together and he grew up in rio de janeiro home of the americana stadium like home of soccer the the soul of the of of samba brazilian soccer is in rio and that's where he grew up but man we've got it backwards like the 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 enemy of development of these big soccer parks just just to to finalize what i was going to say i think a lot of the reasons why these turf fields are coming to rio and people are building those it's because you i mean you don't have that much access to the outdoor game Nobody wants to be playing futsal all the time. They people want to play with a real ball. They want to play real. People want to play in turf. They want to play in something that is more similar to the actual game. You know, the the main game. So Brazil is building you know stuff more and more turf fields than well, I've ever seen. Turf is accessible. The technology has come a long way. Correct. Right? Like the outdoor turf fields didn't really exist when I was a kid and I'm 37, right? And so, but now they do and that's what kids play on because we have the turf, we have the, the technology to, to create it and to take well, it to back, places. Back when I was a kid, the turf fields that, that we played on, they were like a, a green carpet with sand. If you fell, that would burn. It was terrible. Yeah, nowadays, though, those 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 black rubbers, those are I mean, those are amazing. Love so it. so this is this is really interesting. So so chew on this. Um, field dimensions: futsal courts have an area of nine thousand five hundred and seventy-six square feet. Legends four v four fields have an area of two thousand. Two thousand. I'm going to say it again to be a pain. 2,592 square feet. In futsal, each player, that's, you know, obviously dividing the 5v5 versus, you know, the 4v4, each player gets 95.76 square playing feet. In Legends 4v4, each player gets 32.4 square playing feet. This means, what does this mean? What's the relevance of this? This means that futsal players have three times the space and time of Legends boarded 4v4 players. Conclusion, Legends 4v4 players have to think and play three times faster and more creatively. That's wrong. It's not three times faster. It's a whole lot more faster because they're actually playing with a real soccer ball that bounces and moves at a normal speed where the futsal ball slows it down with boards. So, so, so not only do the futsal players get you know three times the amount of, of space and time just from a space perspective, but they're also using a slower ball and they're also... The, there's no boards to speed up the play. Good point. I hadn't even, you know, kids. That was just a, you know, it's a banner that we hang in our facility, and that was what the research showed. Take it down. <laughs> yeah. So, so that didn't even take into account your point, which yeah. was, you know, well spotted. You know, it's it's 
you know, incredible. And and the other thing is that our fields, you know, we've got age-appropriate fields. So, you know, our bigger fields are 72 foot long, our medium-sized fields are 54 foot long, and our, our smaller fields are, are um, 28 foot, 32 foot long or something. They're you know, 36 feet. 36 feet long. And, and they're age-appropriate. And what they are approximately, each of those fields, is from the restraining arc to the goal line of the outdoor fields in those age groups. Because uh, the, the philosophy is to put these kids in the most important part of the field all the time, where they're in the clutch, they're in front of their own goal defending, they're in front of the opponent's goal attacking, and they're in that avenue that is crucial to scoring the goal. So the width of the field is you know, the crucial width of the avenue between them and the goal. You know, to you know, maybe six or eight or 12 feet to either side of the goal, they're stuck in this avenue right in front of goal, no matter where they are uh, you know, on, on the field. And so, um, if you can create and score goals here, the, and let's use the heat in the kitchen analogy. You're not just in the kitchen with the heat turned up. You know, you're not just over the stove with the heat turned up. You know, in Legends 4v4, you are dancing on the hot plate with full heat turned up. You know, and so it's so much easier just by you know, putting kids in this environment to develop incredibly creative, brave leaders. You know, it, it, it's just going to happen organically, let alone with all the other things we do to force this to happen, you know, and futsal dampens that down to a massive degree. And then the big outdoor fields dampen it down to a ridiculous degree, you know. So how are we ever are going to, you know, be able to compete with societies that still play a lot of street soccer or SSGs in tiny spaces? I don't know. You know, it's it's going to be really difficult to make that happen. Impossible to make that happen, you know, the way that things are going in this country. And mm -hmm. futsal, honestly, is not helping us. It's, it's hurting, hurting us. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No be question. <laughs> because we're choosing a less a less developmentally uh, 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 advantageous version of the game than even the Brazilians are choosing. They've got the, ad the, the added benefit of culture and everything else, and they play a better version of the of the game. Right, and, and there's another thing. Um, when you're striking a, a shot with a futsal ball, uh, you don't have to worry about keeping it low. No, because it can't go high. It can't go high. It's, not, it's designed not to go high. You know, so you can get your foot under the ball. You can have a horrible action. You can have your standing foot 12 inches behind the ball, you know, and you, know, you might still score a goal because the futsal ball is going to stay low. You do that to an outdoor ball, that ball's going to be 30 feet over the bar. This is where we went wrong, Andy. You trained me to play soccer. What kind of finisher would I have been if I'd have been a futsal player? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I'm not even going there. You know, so, so what we're doing is, you know, once again, using the said principle, the specific adaptation to impose demands, we are teaching kids that they can get away with loosey-goosey technique and still keep the ball under the bar when they play futsal. So what happens is at the end of the futsal session, the end of the winter, they go back outdoors, and all of a sudden, and, and you know, this, this is inevitable, right? the kids that were keeping the ball on target under the bar before they went indoors at the start of the winter are now putting the ball 20 feet over the bar because the specific environment they've been playing in is totally forgiving of that terrible lapse in technique. Does that make sense? It does to me. Yeah, there's, there's one other thing that we've not really dealt with at all, and that's the safety aspect. And one of the big reasons, you know, which flipped me into 
making the decision to um, put turf in our facilities was the fact that hard floors, no matter which way you cut it, are everywhere on a futsal court. You know, and you know, you might say, "What's the problem with that?" Well, it's not a major problem. It even is sometimes with sports like basketball or volleyball. You know, hence with volleyball, what do you see every player wearing? Knee pads. Knee pads and elbow uh, pads. Ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guy, volleyball players are going to hate you for that comment. <laughs> I don't know very many of those, and they probably don't listen to this. Well, podcast. they're very big, so you better be careful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but but um, hey, uh, maybe they have a ponytail. I don't know. Um, but you know, ultimately, what you're looking at here is that you're looking at um, a, a surface that, if you go down hard on this surface, you're going to hurt. You know, and every goalkeeper that I've had that has played futsal and carpeted indoor loves carpeted indoor. Cannot stand relatively futsal. Well, they probably enjoy having slower shots coming from the futsal ball, though. Yeah, you know, despite the fact <laughs> they can probably save things twice as easily. But, you know, honestly, you know, the, the reality is they hate that because we like to be challenged, yeah, don't we? Yeah, of course, we? yeah. We like to improve. We don't like to be able to save every shot easily because it's hit with so much less power. You know, we're used to playing the outdoor game. You know, we, we want to be as quick as a cat and be able to save that shot in the lower corner. Mm-hmm. You know, a- achievement doesn't work you know, as well when you're achieving something that isn't that important as when you're achieving something that's really important. So I prefer to be challenged when I do things, and I think most people are the same way. And, but when the goal is diving futsal, you know, they land on their elbows, they land on their hips, they land on their knees, and, you know, futsal, knee, hip, and elbow injuries are really common. You know, and, you know, uh, I advise anybody you know, playing goalkeeper in futsal to armor up. You know, get super thick elbow pads. They complain about, you know, it restricts movements. It's better than having a broken elbow. You know, knee pads, hip pads, you know, and, you know, it it hurts to dive on a hard floor. And when you're teaching, like we do, an extremely adventurous, deceptive dribbling philosophy, uh, we know we're going down on a regular basis. I could not in good conscience, with my philosophy and my beliefs about deceptive dribbling, I could no longer play football with our club, you know, than fly to the moon. Because I know that our players are going to get fouled, they're going to get tripped, and I'm not saying necessarily intentionally, although that will happen on occasion. And they're going to go down, they're going to go hard, and they are going to get injured. And during the few games that I researched futsal, a son of a really good friend was tripped fell down and broke his collarbone, you know, and this was just a few games that I was researching, you know, 2030, and I don't recall a broken collarbone in our facilities. I'm sure there has been one, you know, over the years that I didn't hear about, but I don't recall ever seeing a broken collarbone in our facilities, you know, and I think a huge part of that is the fact that the carpet kills a big chunk of the impact. You know, so the, you know, it's not the bone that gives, it's the carpet that gives. And maybe there's a sore shoulder, you know, but, you know, not a serious injury that takes, you know, weeks and months to recover from. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's well, important. Well, we, we can add to that concussion as well. Like if you fall and hit your head in the concrete, it's going to be way more severe than if you hit your head in the, in the turf. Trust me, I've been there, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, as we start to move toward, uh, you know, wrapping this up, like, again, like playing soccer in a small sided, uh, way, right. Playing soccer where space is constricted is good. It's really good for development. And, and I think anybody listening to this podcast would know that we are giant uh, proponents of that. Um, and if I lived in Nowheresville, Missouri, um, and there was no indoor soccer facility and no turfed indoor soccer space, and my only option was a basketball floor, then absolutely that's where I'd be playing with the kids. But I would be looking, and my advice for you as coaches, if you don't have access to a small-sided indoor soccer facility um, that's turfed with boards, is how do you take the space that you're working in and make it more efficient at developing the best skills um, from a long-term perspective? Not efficient from a perspective of how quickly can I get the kids to actually connect passes and, and look good, right? And give them a low bounce ball and, 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 and make the game, you know, 5v2 numbers up Rondo. But how can you make it as efficient as possible to achieve the most amount from a developmental perspective within the environment that you've got? You know, when I grew up playing for Andy during the spring, summer, and fall, we trained outdoor. Um, now, obviously, our teams all trade indoor in the small spaces. But what did Andy do? He put the goals 20 yards apart. We played 1v1s and 2v2s and 4v4 in a really tight space, um, as tight a space as we could. Um, if there was fences around the outside of the field we took the goals over by the fence so when the ball would drift away from us it was caught by the fence and back in play as quickly as possible can you do that Uh, when playing indoor on a basketball surface instead of using a low bounce futsal ball can you use a soccer ball, right? Can you challenge your kids to play that way? It's not going to look pretty right away, right? It's going to be a little bit frustrating and challenging but isn't everything worthwhile frustrating and challenging, right? Growth only comes from outside your comfort zone. And if you're super comfortable knocking around a futsal ball or a low bounce ball, then is there really growth occurring to the degree that it could be if you were really challenging the kids, right? How can you make your environment a better environment? And of course, if you have the means, if, if, if you're able to find and access a really small indoor type space, do it. Um, that's one of the things that we've gotten uh, on our front foot about. Our first indoor training facility in Kansas City was built um, for us as a club was built in 2009. It was just the back of a warehouse. I think it was roughly 4,000 square feet. We now have, you know, several versions of that facility later have have a 70,000 square foot facility that our club trains at on the Kansas side of Kansas City that's got 15 small age appropriate turfed boarded netted spaces that our kids train and play in year round but we've also built some on the Missouri side and we've just opened this week um, a new uh, um, uh, uh, field inside of a warehouse um, in Raytown, Missouri that we are enormously enthusiastic about. And so it can be done. There's a way to do it. And we're happy to help you do it if you need that help. Um, uh, With that said, Andy, you've kind of gone through your notes a little bit. Was there anything else that you wanted to make sure that that we put across the uh, wonderful coaching inside the box airwaves? Yeah. And and one of the things that, that, you know, I, I, I would kind of ask myself whether I should even uh, introduce this into the pod. Um, but a lot of people don't know this ab- about me, and, and this isn't me, you know, patting my own back or, you know, trying to boost my ego or anything like that because, you know, it's, I'm old, I'm gray, I'm 63, I'm falling apart. Uh, so um, There's but, nothing in that that should boost your <laughs> ego, right? It's the opposite. <laughs> right. But, but it's, uh, you know, at one point in my life, uh, you know, I... Um, I, I, I started, ran, and owned the National Indoor Championship, and I, I ran a not-for-profit organization called the National Indoor Soccer Council. And as the president of the National Indoor Soccer, Soccer Council, I helped 
you know, I personally helped build three uh, soccer and sports malls in Kansas City, another one in St. Louis, and I advised hundreds of indoor facility owners on all aspects of facility uh, design. Uh, my job involved optimizing revenue per square foot off of field space, um, you know, but op optimizing soccer development through providing uh, the most conducive environment to get people to come back day in and day out. And, uh, and, and over the years, in constructing and researching facilities, uh, I have looked into uh, you know, all sorts of, of aspects of field design, you know, the, uh, the boards, the surface materials, and, you know, and uh, you know, I've written so many articles about this stuff, um, you know, you know, whether or not you, know, you should have nets over the field uh, and, and uh, you know, the surface, you know, which is the cheapest surface. And uh, turf is expensive. You know, and if you put a hardwood floor in, you can expect 40, 50 years. There are World War II gymnasiums with the same floors being used all over the world. You know, and so, you know, putting in turf and having to replace it every eight to 10 years is an expensive proposition. You know, so this isn't about money. This is about viability from a developmental perspective. And, and so- I will say putting turf in now compared to even five years ago is significantly cheaper. Um, it is getting cheaper, but yes, it is not not nearly right. as expensive and, as sport court. And I was actually given um, before you know the the current version of U.S. futsal uh, that exists today um, grew in power. I was given the opportunity with the original version of U.S. futsal um, to actually uh, run the national indoor championship for futsal by a gentleman called Alex Para, who was based in San Francisco, California, or maybe L.A. But um, Alex actually offered me the opportunity to run that because I was running the boarded national indoor championship and i turned down the opportunity at the time because i didn't think it was as good developmentally as the boarded version of the game which you know 20 years ago i wrote about in in my book training soccer legends but i think it's fair to say that you'd probably be a wealthier fella driving a nicer car had you chosen to do so absolutely but it's it's not about life shouldn't be about the money that you make. Obviously, you need a certain amount of money to have a decent standard of living and provide for your kids. Um, but, you know, I'm not interested in big houses or driving big cars or anything like that. It's, I'm just interested in leaving the world a better place than I came into, you know, and, and hopefully by making a significant contribution uh, in, in what I can and, and, and am knowledgeable in, you know, and, and what I can, you know, actually talk about with some type of logic and some type of sense. Um, so, but, but before we finish, I'd like to deal with the, the slogan that U.S. Futsal uses. Um, Futsal is for frogs? <laughs> I think that might have been one of mine in the past. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> just checking, just checking. But, uh, you know, Futsal is big at saying, no walls here. You know, in, you know in, in a way that they seem to think that's something to be proud of. Yeah. You know, like... And this is, you know, this is an indirect, you know, honestly, it's a sneaky attack on, you know, the boarded game, mm -hmm. you know, and, and people have fallen for it. Oh, big time. They took a hook, line, and sinker. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, the you same know, people that built the $36 million turf outdoor complexes took a hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, the, the walls, even for a wall pass, I mean, you know, I grew up with the wall pass as an integral skill part of the game. You know, and for practicing the wall pass. Wall pass meaning give and go for you Americans. The give and go. You know, it's fantastic to have a wall because the wall gives you the pass that you give it straight back. 
So you're in charge of the whole wall pass sequence. You yeah. don't have to rely on a teammate to give you the right weight of pass back. So as long as you have the ability to play a great pass at the right weight and explode past the defender, you get the ball back that you gave. So it's even fantastic for training a wall pass. You know, so walls are incredibly valuable uh, in the game scenario, you know, as well as passing to feet and you know, doing all that. But they replicate another player when you need it you know, and give you the opportunity to, to practice that aspect of the game. You know, and so walls are incredibly, incredibly important from that perspective. But let's think about training. You know, and when we come to training, a big part of our program is playing wall ball. You know, which is a, a rebound game against the eight-foot wall on one shooting side. Shooting a ball against the wall, receiving it, and shooting a ball against the wall. Absolutely. And we need more spaces for kids to do that in the United States of America times a bazillion because that's what they do in Brazil. And uh, in, in the, uh, uh, the, that fun, funny word in France where all the players that grew up playing just you know, outside of those urban concrete jungles. There's a show on Netflix about it, about France and the concrete jungles of France. Right, right. And, and what, what we've got to realize is that, um, and, and to use an example of this, um, you've got to realize that players that get more repetition and walls guarantee fantastic extra repetition, hundreds and hundreds and thousands, literally, of extra shots, ball striking opportunities, is that those players are going to be chosen by their high school teams, by their college teams, to take the corner kicks, to take the free kicks, to take the penalty kicks, and to play in more advanced positions and take shots, they're going to be picked to be that special player, that go-to guy, that Diego Maradona, that Pelé, that Johan Cruyff, CR7, Leo Messi, the original Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, the list goes on and on. Those are the players. And I constantly get a stream during high school season, both from you know girls' high school and boys' high school, that show my players the ones taking the dead ball kicks, you know, the important kicks that are scoring from distance and scoring great goals. And it, it doesn't, it shouldn't surprise anybody. It doesn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise anybody because when I evaluated my own daughter's uh, shooting repetition in one year because of the facilities that we have, uh, it was an absolute basic minimum of 60,000 shots that she'd taken and a maximum of 80,000 shots she'd taken in one year. And that is for a kid brought up in the suburbs of North America that is not a soccer junkie and is an A student, you know, and has all these other abilities and is very diverse. That number of shots is only possible because of the environment that we've built here in Kansas City with the rebound walls. And the environment's not difficult to build. Like it's not a, it's not like there's no fancy technology, you know, you know, within the walls of the fields. Like it's just to manage like walls and boxes for kids to play and shoot against. It's, it, it can be accessible to anybody in the United States. All of us have, every community has the means to put this kind of stuff in. It, it is the one commonality that all the great players have in yep. their background. I've studied this in depth. Every single one of them at some point in time references the countless hours they spent kicking a ball against the wall, you know, when they were kids, you know, and that's going to be in my next book, which is you know, my third book about, you know, the environment, you know, and, and you know, the, the design and environment of soccer. But U.S. Futsal slogan is no walls here. And, and that's really criminal. You know, because it's a hoax and it's a horrible hoax. 
at the cost of child development. Mm -hmm. And so I have a real problem with any, any futsal organization that puts that slogan on their website, you know, on their literature, because you're basically saying that we want you to play our game, even though that we know that walls are tremendously good for development and we're going to hurt your kids' development for our own interests, whatever those interests might be. And if they don't know that, 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 that the walls are good for development, then they're just ignorant to the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the other thing is, and we haven't dealt with this, um, you know, I'm sitting here next to a Brazilian guy that, that plays for the Kansas City Comets, and honestly, because he's a Brazilian guy, because he's got a level of skill and a level of vision and speed of play, and, you know, an ability to wriggle out of spaces under pressure. That's and similar goals. to mine. <laughs> Uh, anyway, you know, let's you know, let's not get into stupid statements like that. Um, <laughs> and and uh, hey, you were his coach, so it's your own fault. <laughs> well, I think Andrew's experiencing with his own son what I experienced with him. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a whole story behind that. We haven't got time to go into it. Um, uh, so, um, in in Kansas City, uh, and most cities around North America, futsal has no pro exposure. That's probably why Keith Tozer, who is a very ambitious guy, super guy, has you know, taken the job as the commissioner for the boarded game after being years a proponent of futsal is because he realizes that if he's ever going to pursue a game at the highest pro level, he's got to pursue the game, you know, of indoor soccer, boarded indoor soccer. And um, one of the reasons I believe that futsal has very little pro exposure is relative to boarded indoor, it's like watching grass grow. You know, when a ball moves two and a half times slower, you know, just because of its construction, it's got to be two and a half times slower. There's no way around that fact, you know. And so we don't like watching slow games. We like watching fast, exciting games that have an element of smash mouth, like American football, you know, and, and that's really, really intriguing. We also, when we're kids, we follow the pros. There's nothing to follow in futsal in North America and very little in the rest of the world as far as a pro game goes. You know, so we're, we're actually doing kids a disservice, especially in North America, by asking them to play futsal because they've got no heroes to follow. And for a kid, a hero is everything. You know, for me, my hero, Bilbo Baggins, Lord of the Rings. You know, my hero was, you know, was, was you know, uh, uh, Prince Edmund in, you know, the Narnia series. You know, where, whatever books I read, I wanted a hero. I wanted somebody I could follow. Couldn't follow Lucy because I was a guy, so I followed Edmund, you know, or for all his faults. And, and so we want heroes. We want to be able to go to games. Here in Kansas City, we can go to an MISL game and we can see players, expert players like Philippe out there killing it, you know, with the Kansas City Comets and the other teams they play against. And it's a good standard with a lot of creativity. And it's exciting, you know. And so this is very, very important. It's like table tennis versus tennis. You know, table tennis is fast, it's exciting. You know, you, you can't even follow the ball, it moves so fast. You know, and it's incredibly entertaining, you know, and, you know, and, and yet here, the indoor version with the boards is the one that's most popular. And so if we want to provide our kids with examples, we really shouldn't be encouraging our kids, you know, to play futsal, as well as the, all the other reasons that, that we've given. So um, 
And last but not least, kids love it. And this is the most important thing. Kids absolutely love the game of, of futsal. And, and it's so important that we remember that. Uh, sorry, of, of indoor <laughs> soccer, boarded indoor soccer. You it, almost ruined the whole podcast right getting, now. He's getting older, guys. <laughs> I was trying to think of two things at once, and I never could do that anyway. And at my age, it gets worse. Um, so so and before we end the podcast, uh, I, I made a point of, of you know, pulling this out of my first book. Uh, and I want to read this to you. As a word of advice to all players and parents, look for the program that focuses on the creative development of the individual and has the track record of individual success to prove it. Applaud players for their willingness to take risks and the coach for encouraging the players to step out of their comfort zone at the risk of giving up the ball and losing the game. Remember, in youth soccer, the individual developmental win is worth much more than the team statistical win. There is no reward without risk, and many mistakes have to be made along the road to greatness. Look to Brazil, the greatest soccer nation in the world, for your inspiration. Emulate their creativity and desire to make the big play, and... Like the Brazilians, you will eventually enjoy an inordinate amount of success and recognition for your exceptional talents. Work daily on dribbling and shooting. Remember that you need great dribbling deception and touch to create space and set up the great shot. Also remember that a shot is the most difficult pass. So if you work hard on your shooting skills, your passing will also become excellent. Amen. Well said. Episode 13 is out. On to the next one. Um, I don't know what it's going to be about yet. Got any ideas? Hit us up on Twitter. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.